Hello, the world's financial systems are under severe strain. Pandemic, war, inflation. Hearing that litany again and again doesn't make it any less bad. It's a bitter cocktail and one that's giving the global economy a terrible headache. Are we heading for a recession? All the arrows are pointing in the wrong direction. One thing they seem sure of is that a recession is on the way. You can build a case that uh, the recession has already started. It's definitely a risk. If I were running a big company, I would be very prepared for it. If I was a consumer, I'd be prepared for it. But it's not baked in the cake. That last voice you heard was Lloyd Blankfein, the former chief executive and now chairman of Goldman Sachs. Now, when he makes a forecast, people sit up and listen. But are he and the media doom-mongers right? Here at Fidelity, we formed our own views, but it's nuanced. Helping to lay out the arguments for and against the likelihood of recession, I have two of Fidelity's fixed income team with me. They are portfolio managers Paul Greer and Tim Foster. Welcome to you both. Hi, Hi there. Now, um, Paul and Tim, you're going to be taking opposing views on the uh, recession, at least for the purposes of this debate. Um, I want to hear the case for and against. And at the end, I'm going to ask you for your investment implications for each view. And um, I think what's quite important is to get a bit of context here about you so that we understand where you're coming from. So um, why don't you tell us what your day job is? Paul, how about you, first of all? Yeah. um, Hi there. I'm a a fixed income portfolio manager, uh, and I focus specifically on emerging market debt and currencies. Okay. And um, you're taking the red corner, uh, taking on the argument for recession. Um, Very briefly, what's the approach that you're you're coming from there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very clear that central banks everywhere are, you know, prioritising tackling inflation over managing the downside of growth risks. Uh, And that's playing out with with much tighter monetary policy conditions. Uh, The usual playbook uh, in Fed tightening cycles is that they keep tightening until something breaks. Uh, And and I think that's going to be the case this time. Okay, great. And um, Tim, tell us about your day job. Hi, so (laughs) yes, so I'm I'm a fund manager in the fixed income group as well, but um, uh, I manage uh, our inflation bond funds and I also manage our strategic. So those are our sort of total return uh, bond funds. Okay, lovely. And uh, you're in the blue corner arguing against a recession and for a soft landing. Briefly, why? Yes, so I'm I'm certainly in the um, uh, in, in the sort of soft landing sort of camp. I think really based on the sort of starting conditions being you know very much better, very very strong, uh, and, and much better than we've seen sort of seen previously. So very very strong labour markets, quite good consumer and company balance sheets. Consumers have saved a lot in aggregate over the recession, uh, and kind of no obvious kind of financial imbalances. I think. Great. Well, we're going to get a little bit more detail from you in uh, a moment, uh, Tim. But first of all, Paul, can you make your case for? why you think we're heading towards a a big slowdown in in global growth and perhaps even a recession? Yeah, well, I I think central banks everywhere, particularly the the Federal Reserve, they're going to continue to prioritise tackling inflation uh, over dealing with downside growth risks. Uh, And what we're seeing is, you know, monetary uh, conditions tightening very quickly, very sharply uh, over the last few months. Um, and I think this this theme will persist uh, throughout the summer, you know, led by, by the Fed, who now seem to be on autopilot in terms of raising interest rates uh, and reducing the size of their balance sheet. Um, and I think all of this will probably continue until we see, you know, something of a demand crunch from the consumer uh, and we've broken the back of inflation and really until there's there's evidence that 
price pressures have 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 peaked. So you're saying that the Fed's on uh, autopilot. So it, its reaction function, they're just going to automatically put up rates um, unthinkingly. Is that is that your your uh, accusation? Well, I think in the near term, the priority has to be uh, containing price pressures, and and Powell has been quite explicit about that uh, in 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 recent weeks. Uh, certainly, when you think about their dual mandate of full employment uh, and and sustainable price pressures over the medium term. I think the latter is clearly top of mind at the moment. Um, and economic growth is going to be the collateral damage uh, in that. For, for me, that's the obvious takeaway. Uh, and I think that's eventually how it will, will, it will play out. Tim, do you dis- well, I think you do disagree, don't you? But on, on which uh, aspects of that? I think I disagree a little bit. I mean, I absolutely agree on the, you know, the primacy of inflation really being, um, you know, what's driving um, uh, central banks and, and, and clearly what's driving this this kind of hawkish hawkish kind of tilt from the central banks. I think these are not the central banks really of the of the sort of 80s recession or even the sort of 90s um, tightening cycle. I think they are basically more sensitive now to kind of growth growth slowdown. And if you look at, for example, the Fed's forecast for unemployment, you know, the, the sort of dot forecast, they're basically not forecasting any increase in, in in unemployment. We've heard Powell talk recently about a few sort of tenths, you know, of an increase. So, so absolutely, unemployment will go up, and I think we'll have to go up to to contain inflation. But I think I think the, the central banks are more sensitive than 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 you might think to to increases unemployment. Is this actually. political sensitivity um, as opposed to um, purely looking at it from an economic point of view? I mean, the political background backdrop is interesting because at the moment, inflation has become a significant political problem, you know, in the US, in the UK, for example, the cost of living crisis. So, yeah, they've got definite political backing for hiking at the moment. But yes, I think that could that could change a little bit, um, you know, if you, if, you, if you do see really growth start to slow severely. So probably the political winds have changed. But I think as well, you know, they're building in this kind of sort of strong, um, you know, starting point. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that there's probably enough lag momentum, certainly in, in you know, in the US economy to to kind of you know pull through and yes we will see a slowing and yes we will see a, an increase in, in unemployment but I don't see a kind of terribly severe kind of shock. Can, can you explain that a little bit more that um, the US seems to be in a better position than um, other economies in, in, in Europe for example to do with the stimulus the fiscal stimulus that there's been through through the COVID period? I, I think a lot of it is the stimulus and so you've got you know um, I mean there are accumulated savings in, in Europe as well but you know I think it's something like accumulated sort of excess savings at about 18% of, of 2019 disposable income in the US it's probably about 12% for, for the EU you know the UK is somewhere in between those two numbers so more, definitely more accumulated savings in the US um, you know because of that that, that kind of greater degree of, of fiscal stimulus and the earlier stimulus. Um, you know, also there's there's much less slack in the labour market in the US, and actually the UK as well as some you know stands out as someone with very little labour market slack. Whereas I think in the EU, you know, there are more people still working on sort of reduced hours and that sort of thing, and unemployment is basically higher in the EU anyway. So there's more labour market slack in the EU, but but a lot less slack actually in the US and also the UK. So you know, very tight tight labour market conditions that, that need to ease a bit. Paul, listening to our colleague there, um, I, my, my mind is, is put at rest and um, it, everything's going to be rosy, isn't it? Has he persuaded you? I do worry that um, the conditions and the setup for the market and the aggressiveness of, of what 
uh, the Federal Reserve are trying to to achieve will will result in, in a very sharp uh, slowdown of of growth expectations. Um, you know, one thing to bear in mind is just the the, the starting point, particularly from a, a fiscal and, and debt burden standpoint. Um, we're in a much different place now compared to where we've been in in previous tightening cycles. Um, so I, I I do fear that the Fed will go uh, will you know push the push the brakes too hard too quickly and and the impact of that will will come through um probably quicker than most people expect so there's less room for error than there has been in the past yeah i th- i think so you just look at financial conditions uh, index and how quickly it's been tightening even in the last few weeks um you know the rhetoric from the fed hasn't changed at this point um so i i, I do worry this whole mini cycle could play out a lot faster than than the market's expecting what about timescales then, uh, Tim? If there is a soft landing, where would it be? And are things speeding up, as, as, as Paul says? I mean, I guess I'm still thinking of, um, uh, you know, maybe first half of next year, really, because, you know, the, uh, I mean, Paul's absolutely right. There's been, clearly been, you know, the markets have been doing a lot of the Fed's and the central bank's work for them. There's been this huge, you know, tightening of, of, of financial conditions and so on. But that, those will still have a lagged impact, I think. Um, uh, so, yes, yeah, so we're talking about maybe, maybe you know, very end of this year at the, the earliest or probably the early part of, of, of next year. You know, if there's any, if there are kind of imbalances anywhere, it's in the kind of government debt burdens. You know, we've seen, you know, governments kind of run up, run up huge debts over, over the last couple of years with the fiscal stimulus that they've done. But, you know, I don't see particular imbalances in, in, in you know, in the private sector, either from consumers or companies. Uh, you know, again, if you look at, you know, investment grade sort of, companies really their sort of interest coverage ratios are you know they're, they're the best they've been for, for for 20 years really so i don't see a kind of post sort of you know 2008 kind of crisis 10 years basically for for some of those kind of imbalances to work out you know some of those some of the kind of bad debts and so on on the, on the bank's balance sheet still haven't been worked out you know i kind of don't see a repeat of that i think if we do see a recession it should be a fairly short-lived one i think okay now we've focused on the u.s with a little bit of europe but um paul what about emerging markets how is this playing out in the, the areas that you look at? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's important to look at the picture outside of the US uh, and think about where global growth conditions are at the moment. And, you know, global growth expectations are, are falling pretty quickly, um, principally led by, by China. You know, China is in quite a difficult position at the minute uh, in terms of what they're trying to achieve with the zero COVID policy, as well as, you know, tackling the debt burdens, particularly on the real estate sector. Um, and, you know, we, we always say that it's the Fed that sets the global cost of capital, but it's China that sets the global pace of growth. Uh, and, and, and clearly, China is in, in a tough position at the minute in terms of growth expectations. That feeds through to the rest of emerging markets as well. Um, and, and I fear that, you know, these, this, this kind of dual conditions of you know tightening monetary pretty much everywhere combined with rapidly cooling growth you know particularly in China will, will result in uh, you know an about turn from from G10 central banks um, probably quite soon now, now different factors feed into inflation depending on the makeup of uh, an economy um, I know that you're particularly concerned about food prices why is that yeah, I mean, food prices have been rising really for the last two years. Um, but ever since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, they've gone stratospheric. I mean, if you look at the UN food price index, it's now up 
30% year on year, whereas the previous 30 years before COVID, you know, it averaged a rise of about 3% per year. Um, and Russia and Ukraine, you know, these are agricultural powerhouses, and both of them have been uh, off stream now. So that's important because Higher food prices clearly impact everyone. You know, the cost of living crisis is very topical, but it disproportionately impacts lower income countries in emerging markets who typically have, you know, bigger macro imbalances. They've got less fiscal room to do things like food subsidies, etc. Uh, and, you know, GDP per capita generally is, uh, is, is, is lower. And what we're seeing now is a number, a growing number of EM countries restrict food exports. So over the last 10 years, we've seen currency wars, we've seen trade wars, we've seen interest rate wars. Now what we're seeing is, 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 is food wars. Uh, and this is particularly important in EM because, you know, it, it has unpredictable consequences. In recent weeks, we've seen shock currency devaluations in some countries. We're starting to see social uh, and civil unrest. That's leading to heightened political uncertainty. And it's, it's, it's quite difficult for investors because um, it's very difficult to predict human behavior whenever countries are unable to feed themselves. So what that means for debt investors in emerging markets is we need more risk premium, uh, we need uh, wider spreads and, and higher yields to compensate for that uncertainty. And when you say unpredictable outcomes, I mean, uh, you know, food prices 30% more expensive than they were last year. That, that's almost unimaginable um, in the impact that, that it'll have on individual households, on, on consumer spending generally. Um, Will it provoke um, novel interventions from, from authorities? I mean, you mentioned they haven't got much fiscal room in uh, some of these emerging markets. Is there other action that could, that could happen? Yeah, it's, it's already started. Uh, I mean, just in terms of food policy, countries restricting the exports of, of food coming out. Uh, you know, we've seen that in several countries, places like Sri Lanka, uh, Egypt, um, and, and other countries joining that list all the time. Um, another consequence is countries just having to put up their hands and ask for support from places like uh, the IMF, and that could lead to, to debt restructuring in some countries as well. I think it's inevitable. Uh, what Paul's talking about there, Tim, you know, a, a slowdown in emerging markets um, generally will have an uh, effect on developed markets too. There's a, a circularity, the connectedness of the world um, is still there. Well, I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess my, um, you know, the kind of soft landing thesis is, is a fairly kind of US exceptionalist kind of thesis, isn't it? And I, I absolutely, you know, take note of, of Paul's worries about about the sort of China, you know, kind of China China slowing down and then and then and then kind of knock on impacts. Also, places like the eurozone, where you know I don't really see the same need for aggressive central bank tightening. Frankly, you know, the, the, there's much less sort of breadth in terms of the inflation that that, that 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 there is in Europe. So I think you know less need for kind of central bank bank hawkishness. So yeah, so the the, the soft landing is, is principally a kind of U.S. soft landing, I'd say. Okay, okay. And we've agreed on the direction. It's perhaps um, more the pace of the um, of, of slowdown and, and where, where we eventually um, uh, land that um, distinguishes your views. Um, so let's finish off with what an investor is meant to do based on um, these, uh, these, the situation that we're in at the moment. So, Paul, first of all, um, where, where do you think people should be heading and perhaps backing away from? Yeah, well, you know, thinking about emerging markets, you know, EM is a very 
global growth and global trade sensitive asset class. So, you know, with that in mind and, and with my opinion on where growth expectations are going, uh, I think it, it, it pays to be cautious. It pays to be defensive on emerging markets. Um, that said, you know, it's it's not all completely doom and gloom. You know, we've seen commodity prices rise pretty sharply in recent months. And of course, there are many commodity exporters in EM who have enjoyed a, a very positive terms of trade shock uh, you know, for their fiscal balances, for their current accounts in in recent uh, in recent months. So you know, there's two kind of regions that stand out, particularly Latin America uh, and and also uh, the the Middle East. But what I would say, in from an emerging market credit standpoint, you know, the yields that are now on offer in EM investment grade credit are particularly attractive. You know, triple B sovereign debt. You know, you can now get paid more than five percent which is uh, the highest it's been in the, the last decade. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think there's much of a need to reach down the credit spectrum within EM down into the distressed names. So, you know, triple B EM investment grade credit, I think it's good at this point. Uh, and if you can overlay that with names which are, you know, commodity exporting and, and benefit from this commodity boom. Picking your way amongst the uh, the names there, Paul. And Tim, what about you? You've, you've talked about the US. It's exceptionalism in terms of having a, a, a much more robust economy. Presumably, that's the one that's uh, attracting your attentions. Yeah, I mean, I think I quite like on the corporate bond side, um, uh, investment grade, definitely a bit like a bit like Paul um, in US dollars and euros, actually, I quite like uh, euro credit as well. So with sort of, you know, investment grade spreads, at, you know, getting close to the sort of 2018 sort of wides, I think that's, um, you know, that's quite good value in a not catastrophic uh, kind of growth outcome, which I, which I think is what what, I, what I've painted for here. Um, I guess as well, the sort of soft landing thesis, you know, there is a bit of a sort of central bank um, kind of relent built into that at some point in, in, in the next sort of few months. And so, with that in mind, I quite like on the inflation side. I quite like real yields here. At, you know, uh, getting getting close to thirty basis points and sort of ten year U.S. real yields, I think, is quite good value. I don't think they can. Don't think the central banks can tighten. You know, can push real yields much higher than that. And I think that's quite good value based on a you know longer term view of low real yields. I think. So some encouraging um, words um, there from both of you um, amid an environment that um, the best you seem to be able to say, Tim, is that it's not catastrophic. So I'll, um, I'll note that. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that another time. But we're going to finish there. Thank you both uh, very much indeed, Tim Foster and Paul Greer. Thank you for listening. To read more on this topic and more, visit your local Fidelity website or go to fidelityinternational.com. The producer today is Seb Morton-Clark with production support from Connor Bailey. From all of us at Fidelity, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied upon by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without the prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please visit your local Fidelity website.